Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Through this podcast, we hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus and in living and loving like Him. Some of God's most beautiful miracles and greatest work is especially evident in the aftermath of our darkest and most painful experiences. After the dark days of the crucifixion of Jesus, light breaks forth in His resurrection. After hurt is healing, after brokenness is mending, after death is life. Through this series, we are learning to pay attention to how God is moving and growing our faith in and for the aftermath. So if you are joining us for the very first time today, you've missed out because over the last 13 weeks, we have centered ourselves around probably the most important word we could have gathered around in the season that we're in. Just in case you missed it, for the last 13 weeks, that word has been courageous. We were praying going from 2019 to 2020, and God really very clearly laid that word on our hearts. And when we started this series, we had no idea that we would all be trying to navigate what we're currently navigating. And if, if that's not shocking enough, the reality is God gave us another word several months ago that is even more fitting than the word courageous. Back in February, our church sat down to begin to prepare for the series that we're starting today. And once again, God gave us a single word. And now that's not normal for our church. We don't typically do a series that's just necessarily one word, or we don't typically gather around one word. But courageous was the word for the last 13 weeks, and today we step into a new season centered around a new word. And that word came to us in the middle of planning for this season months ago. But believe it or not, in February, God gave us this word. Our team gathered around to begin to plan the series that would lead us into Easter because this season is the most significant season in, in the life of the church because we're about to celebrate the most significant event in all of human history. And every year when we're planning our Easter series and we're thinking about all the things that God may want to, to gather us around, we, we spend a lot of time just intensely preparing for this season. And once again, God clearly, just as clearly as he gave me the word courageous, he gave me the word aftermath. I was praying and I was seeking God for, for what we would talk about during this season. And, and that word was so clearly placed on my heart. And I'll be honest, at the time, like I didn't even really think about the depth of the definition of it. But all I kept thinking about was all throughout Scripture, God did the coolest things in the aftermath of the most difficult things. The word aftermath actually means something that results or flows from an event, especially one of disastrous or unfortunate nature. Now just pause for a second and let that definition sink into your spirit. The word aftermath means something that follows an event, usually of unfortunate and disastrous nature. I hear us having this conversation already. What will the aftermath of the coronavirus be like? Like we're already kind of in that in our minds. What, what will the aftermath of this virus be? What will be the economic aftermath? 
What will be the physical aftermath? In the aftermath, how many lives will have been lost? How many people will have gotten sick? How many families will have suffered in the aftermath of this virus? And when we think of the word aftermath, it's always connected to those events in our lives. We've all had to live through an aftermath, right? We're all gonna have to live through the aftermath of the coronavirus, but many of us, we lived in the aftermath of 9-11. Or many of us, much more on a more personal nature, maybe not on a global scale, but you, you've lived in the aftermath of your parents' divorce. You've lived in the aftermath of an abusive relationship. Like we've all had to, had to make our way through an aftermath, come on. Like we've all had to find a way to get through the aftermath. But as I started reading the Bible and I started thinking about all the things I know about scripture, this is what I'm certain of. Our God is God of the aftermath. I would even submit that our God is most, most active in the aftermath. That is, it's on the other side of the most painful, difficult things in our lives and in all of history that God does his greatest work. And I'm just gonna go ahead and believe in advance, that's what we're gonna see here. That there will be an aftermath of the coronavirus. There will be an aftermath of this thing that we're experiencing now. And I can't wait to see what God does because in the aftermath is when our God is most active. The season that we're in right now, next week we celebrate Easter. It was in the aftermath of the cross that Jesus rose from the dead. Our God is the God of the aftermath. And what we hope to accomplish in this series is learn what we need to learn so that in the aftermath, not just of the coronavirus, but whatever aftermath you eventually have to journey through, you journey through it with faith. You journey through it seeing the beauty of what God does in and through it. And the scriptures are littered with God doing awesome things in the aftermath. Let me show you. Go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Access God's word however you're going to access it. Don't treat this like just another show you're watching on Netflix, okay? Pull up your Bibles, open it up, grab the vintage app. There's a note section there where you can take notes as I'm teaching today because we're going to lean into God's word. And I promise if you'll hang with me for the next 30 minutes or so, God's going to do something powerful in your life. You're going to feel uplifted and you're going to believe that the aftermath of this virus and the aftermath of whatever it is you will experience in your life can be much better than you believe it to be in this moment. John chapter 12, I want to start with verse 1. It says, six days after the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived. Drop down to verse 2. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, if you don't know what happened in John chapter 11, you don't know how powerful this story is. The fact that Jesus was gathered reclining at a table with his friends, Martha and Mary and Lazarus. The fact that he was at a dinner party 
with these three friends just a few days ago seemed impossible. Because just a few days before this dinner party, Lazarus was dead. Just a few days earlier, just a matter of days before Jesus is reclining at a table with Lazarus, he was in a grave. Right now he's sitting at a table. A few days later, he was laying in a grave. A few days earlier, he was laying in a grave. And there was a moment when Lazarus, Mary, and Martha would have never thought what they're experiencing as we open John chapter 12 would have been possible. See, just a few days before they're hanging out, eating together, Lazarus had gotten sick and he had died. And the possibility of them gathering together and enjoying each other's company and laughing and having a good time seemed absolutely impossible because they were in a moment of intense pain. Watching somebody that you love get sick and die is probably the most painful thing we can experience, isn't it? To, to just helplessly watch somebody get sick and die Sound familiar? There's a lot of people that are experiencing that right now. They're watching people that they love be riddled with a virus that we can't figure out and many are ending up dead. That's where Mary and Martha and Lazarus were just a few days before. And I, can't, I just have to believe in the midst of that pain, they didn't believe it would ever be possible to do what they're doing right now. Because pain has a way of erasing possibilities, doesn't it? In those moments when pain is intense, possibilities seem limited. Have you ever been in a point where the pain was so real that, that any possibility of anything good seemed to fade away? That pain was so unending that possibilities just seemed like a figment of the past. Pain keeps us from dreaming. It keeps us from believing. Like when we get so gripped with pain, it erases possibilities. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they had such pain that there was a moment in time that they didn't believe what they're experiencing now was possible. But here they are. Here they are, gathered around a table they never expected to be around, having dinner with people they never expected to have dinner with again. Why? Because our God is a God of the aftermath. Let me, let me walk you through what they experienced, what, what happened before. See here, Mary just gives this crazy expression of worship. It, it is such an extraordinary expression of worship that Jesus' own disciples are like, this is too much. The perfume that she used to wash Jesus' feet was so expensive, it cost a year's wages. And Mary goes from gripped with pain to poured out in worship because she experienced the God of the aftermath. 
And the response, and even though there was a moment when she felt nothing but pain, now because what she's seen Jesus do in her life and in the life of her family, all she can do is think of the greatest, grandest gesture of worship she can come up with. And I just believe that one day we're gonna get there. That we're gonna watch God move in such a way that all we're gonna do is think about how we can extravagantly worship him on the other side. But it took a little while to get there. And it may take us a while to get there too. But there's some things that we can learn from their story that I think can help us in advance of the aftermath. See, we're not in the aftermath of this thing yet, are we? It feels like we're in the middle or who knows, maybe we're just at the beginning. We don't know, we don't, I think that's a question we're all asking, right? When is this all gonna be over? When is this gonna be end? Be, be, be coming to an end? When is this gonna finally be behind us? When are we gonna get back to normal? And I don't know, but in the meantime, in advance of the aftermath, there's some things that we can learn from God's word so that when it comes, we see him, we recognize him and we're ready to worship him. So you ready to learn those things? Go with me to John chapter 11. Go backwards with me in God's word, John chapter 11. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. This Mary was whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Mary and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep and I'm going there to wake him up. Now, Mary and Martha and Lazarus aren't with the disciples in this moment and they don't get to hear that Jesus has a plan. They don't get to hear that Jesus is up to something. All they're thinking is we've sent word to Jesus and nothing's happened. We sent word to Jesus who claims that he loves us and all they're doing is watching Lazarus get sicker and sicker and sicker and eventually die. They didn't get to, it, what was said about them was not said to them. And while the disciples hear Jesus say all this thing, and maybe the disciples are thinking, we're about to see Jesus do something really cool. All that Mary and Martha and Lazarus can think is, we cried out and God did nothing. We cried out and God did nothing. What will happen when what you're praying seems to be the opposite of what you're experiencing? When you're crying out to God and it seems as if nothing's happening. When you're watching things in your life deteriorate, when you're watching someone you love get sick, when you're watching people lose their jobs, and you're praying, you're saying, Lord, it's bad, and I know you love me, and I need you to do something. You see, you need to remember, 
just because you don't see motion doesn't mean God's not moving. Just because you don't see motion doesn't mean God's not moving. Just because he is silent does not mean he is absent. Like the disciples probably had some excitement about what God was going to do, what Jesus was going to do out of this. But Mary and Martha and Lazarus, all they're thinking is, we've sent word and nothing is happening. And you've got to remember that just because you don't see motion doesn't mean that God's not moving. Just because it feels like he's late doesn't mean he's unloving. You've got to believe that God's working even when you don't see it. You've got to believe that that God is up to something even when you don't see something happening. When what you're experiencing is the opposite of what you're praying, you have to trust that he is watching over you even when it feels like he's not saying anything to you. That God is just as real in those moments as he is in any other season of your life. See, we're on the other side of this story. And we know that God is working. We know that Jesus is paying attention. But Mary and Martha Martha and Lazarus didn't. And there's a lot of people in this season, you're calling out to God and you're praying and you're asking him to do all these things. And then you wake up the next day and it feels just as the same as the day before. And you're starting to lose patience and you're starting to get frustrated and you're wondering where God is in all this. Just because you don't see motion doesn't mean God isn't moving. That he's up to something and he's working and he's gonna do something powerful if you'll just hold on. So he finally tells his disciples that something's happened. That he's fallen asleep. And, and of course they don't understand. They say in verse 12, his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. But Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now, when I read that verse, I felt something like I think a lot of us feel. Jesus said, I'm glad I wasn't there. And if we don't understand the context of what Jesus is trying to say, it can seem like Jesus is really cold-hearted. As if he's saying, I'm glad he's dead. I'm glad they're suffering so that I can get glory. Now let me, Jesus does not create scenarios in order that he can be a hero. Jesus is not saying that I'm glad because they're grieving. Jesus is saying, I'm glad because I see the glory that can come from this that other people can't in this moment. God is never glad when you're grieving. God is never celebrating when you're in pain. That is not who he is. And it's not like Jesus was just, I don't even believe Jesus was just sitting back thinking, I'm going to wait a little while so that Lazarus will die. No, I think Jesus is saying we were doing the things that we needed to do in the moment. And it's bad that he's dead and it's broken Jesus's heart that we're going to see in a little bit that they're suffering. But Jesus knows that even in their grief, I can get glory. And he decides to make the journey to Bethany to check on 
Mary and Martha. And when he goes, look at verse 20. He says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, Jesus went out to, to meet them. But Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Like if you'd only been here, God, like if you'd only come sooner, like, like Jesus, you're too late. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And she begins to hear Jesus say, I'm going to raise him. He's going to be raised. He's going to come back to life. And Martha says, well, I, I, I know in the last days he's going to come back to life. Like, I know what you're capable of, but like, I need my brother right now. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He says, Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever puts their faith and trust in me, even if they die, they don't really die because of what I have in plan and what I have in store. And she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who has come into the world. She says, yes, Lord, I, I believe in who you are. Mary doesn't, Martha doesn't understand what's happening right now. Even when Jesus is talking, she's confused about what's going to unfold. Even in this moment, she is not convinced and she is not sure that, G, that her brother is going to be raised from the dead, that Jesus is going to bring Lazarus out of the grave. But even in the unknown, she says, I believe in who you are. Have you ever been confused about what God's doing? I am. Do you look at what's happening in our world and just feel this deep confusion about why it's happening and what, how it's going to turn out. I want to be like Martha because what you see in Martha is she's confused about what he's doing, but she's still confident in who he is. She says, I don't understand all that you're saying right now, Jesus, and I don't understand why you were late and I don't understand what you're about to do. I'm confused by what you're doing, but I am confident in who you are. And if you're going to get through a season like this, it's okay to be confused about what he's doing. But stay confident in who he is. That even though she had watched her brother suffer, get sick, and die, that was confusing for her. But her confidence in who he was was not shaken. Keep reading. All of a sudden, Mary hears about Jesus, Martha, her sister, Mary. And when he, he, she hears about Jesus, she goes and runs to him. Look at verse 32. It says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Verse 34 says, where have you laid him? He asked, come and see, Lord, they replied. And then verse 35, the shortest verse in all the scripture, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, 
Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus wept. And the question is why? Jesus, Jesus knew what was going to happen. Remember, he had already said, this is not going to end in death. He had already told his disciples, I'm going to wake him up. So Jesus, why are you crying? He's not crying because he doesn't know the outcome. He's broken over the pain that's being experienced because of what has just unfolded. He's not crying over Lazarus. He's crying for Mary and Martha and everybody who loved him. That's the kind of God that we serve. Yeah, that God is working in this whole situation. Working so much that when it's all said and done, it's going to be powerful and beautiful. But even though he knows the outcome and even though he's working toward the outcome, he's still willing to weep. I'm grateful that we serve a God that can simultaneously work for us and weep with us. Isn't that an awesome God that we serve? That even though he knows that he can bring good, even though he sees what's going to happen, even though he has the foresight to know that beauty will come from all of this, that God will be glorified in it, and people's faith will be built from it, he still has compassion. That we serve a God that can simultaneously work for us while he weeps with us. That in those moments that you're broken and your heart hurts and you're suffering, yeah, God is working for you, but he's also weeping with you. That in this season, there's not a single tear that has dropped from your face that has gone unnoticed by your God. And even though he has a plan and even though he's going to work for the glory of himself and the good of his people. If you're hurting, he's hurting. He can simultaneously work for us and weep with us. So they go and they take the stone away. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice and said, Lazarus, come out. Then the dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And with that, a man who had been laid in a grave for four days was raised back to life. And now I I really wish we had more to the story because we don't. 
Like, I, I want to know, like, what, what Lazarus is doing right now. Because I think he's probably as surprised as anybody to be upright and walking. The celebration that must have broken loose as Jesus calls this man from the grave and Mary and Martha and all those people that had journeyed to their home to grieve with them are now in awe of what Jesus has done. And in that moment... Mourning turned into rejoicing. Death turned into life. And God reminded us of something that we need to lean into in this season. That in the aftermath of life's most painful moments, God does his most beautiful miracles. In the aftermath of life's most painful moments, our God does his most beautiful miracles. That our God is the God of the aftermath. That he is active. He is most active in the aftermath. And although we're in this season where we're all experiencing such pain that we can't see the possibilities of our future, let me just remind you, don't allow your pain to erase possibility. Embrace the pain, but don't let it erase the potential of what God can do in your life. Don't mistake his silence for his absence. Even though you don't see any motion, doesn't mean God is not moving. He didn't cause the situation that we're in, but he will create a solution to it. It is fine for you to be confused about what he is doing but stay confident in who he is. And never forget, he is weeping with you while he is working for you. When Mary goes in and finds Jesus eating at this table with her brother who was once dead and now alive, she erupts in an expression of extravagant worship. Because in the aftermath of her most painful moment, Jesus did his most beautiful miracle. And the only thing she could do, the only way she could respond was in worship. We're not in the aftermath yet, but we're gonna worship him in advance that what I want to challenge you today and in this season is go ahead and worship him like you know what he's gonna do. And maybe you don't know what he's gonna do in detail, but this is something I learned a long time ago. If it's not good, God's not done. And right now we're in a season of intense pain. And if we let that pain get the best of us, we will limit in our minds what we believe to be possible in the aftermath. But today we're going to worship. We're going to sing out his praise and we're going to bring glory to God the best way that we know how. Because I believe that the same God that did this amazing thing in the life of Mary and Martha and Lazarus is the same God that's going to bring beauty from our ashes. 
And I know right now, like, like in, when we get so riddled with this pain, we don't feel like we have the energy to praise. But in pain is when praise is most needed. And so right there, wherever you are, wherever you're watching this, maybe you're in your living room or maybe you're sitting at your desk at work. But however you feel led, I want you to worship. Our team is gonna lead us in an amazing song that embodies the beauty and power of this gift of worship. Worship is our weapon in the aftermath. Father, I pray that in this season where so many are gripped and paralyzed by pain, that you would allow us, yes, to embrace the pain, but not let the pain erase what's possible. That God, in the aftermath is when you are most active. That God, it's in the aftermath of our most painful moments that you do your most beautiful miracles. You did one then, and you're gonna do one now. So we offer up worship in advance, and we look forward to what you're about to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope that what you experience today inspires you to live and love like Jesus. Stay connected with what's happening at Vintage and grow deeper in your faith by downloading the Vintage Church app. Through this app, you have access to sermon notes, upcoming events, devotionals, additional podcasts, and discover ways to connect in community. You can easily download our app by going to app.vintagechurch.net. We hope you join us again soon.